been led to talk about this subject for some time, and I wanted to use this opportunity between the two books of the Bible to do so. And the topic will be the sanctity of human life. The topic will be abortion. And what does God say about it? First, I want to say that this sermon is not political. This isn't a political issue. This is an issue of life and death. And I believe Christians too often think of the major issues that plague our society as political ones. And we should not. And maybe this is the reason that oftentimes Christians are apathetic or stagnant when it comes to the work against abortion. They might think that their vote is enough, that as long as I vote the right way, that that's enough. I'm doing the right thing. But as I said before, this is not a political issue. In our land right now, there's a genocide going on, a holocaust, and it pales into comparison to Nazi Germany. We often say things like, well, I believe it's wrong, but who am I to judge? I'm against, against it, but I don't know their situation. I'm against it, but I think a mom should still have the right to choose. Such lackluster attitudes towards the slaughter of the innocents are exactly why 60 million children have lost their lives across this nation by abortionists since 1973. We could even call these abortionists hired hitmen that are hired by mothers, by fathers, by grandmothers, by grandfathers to kill innocent children. And so instead of giving our opinions on the matter, which I am assured we all probably have some. We should ask the question, what does God say about abortion? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. I have four points to go over in this message. First, we'll look at what does he say about human life, and especially life in the womb. What does he think about taking a human life? And especially, again, that focus of life in the womb. Third, we'll look at the consequence for taking that life. And then third, we'll look at the hope for those who have done such things. Is there any? And last will be a call to action. What are Christians to do about this evil that is in our land? So before we get into those four points, I want to look at some statistics. These are a little bit dated from 2011. One website said that in the United States, about half of all pregnancies are unintended. And out of all unintended pregnancies, four out of ten are aborted. In that 2011 statistic shows that 21% of all pregnancies in the USA were aborted. You've heard people say, well, what about rape? What about incest? Well, according to statistics, less than 1% of all abortions that take place are that because of rape or incest. Those in favor of abortion often use these as their arguments. They go there and say, this is why I support abortion, because of these few cases. And yet so often, so few abortions actually take, take place because of rape or incest. And really it's a failed argument anyway. God will only ever hold us accountable for our own sins. And I'm so grateful that I'm not accountable for my father's sins. That it's just my own. And so I don't know why we would ever punish innocent children. 
for the crimes that their fathers committed. It is not biblical. And so because his father was a monster, doesn't mean that we should kill the child. According to those same statistics, the vast majority of abortions are taking place merely out of convenience to the mother. They're literally given up on the altar of convenience. I can't have this child in my life because of this or this, or you don't know my situation, or you don't know how hard my life is. And so because it's legal in our country, they go and they kill their child merely for convenience. Science confirms what God's word says clearly, that that what is which is in the womb is not just a blob of cells like many would tell you, like many in the secular world would tell you, that's just a blob of cells, that's just a parasite that you can remove if you want. No, all scientific data points to the fact that life begins at conception. That what is within the womb is nothing other than a human being. But like the Nazis did to the Jews, abortion providers like Planned Parenthood make sure to dehumanize the infant by calling it a blob or a, a clump of tissue or a fetus. During the Nazi Holocaust, the German guards were able to kill millions of Jews. And if you ask them, how could you do such things? How could you murder all of these Jews? And they would all tell you alike that they believed the Jews to be less than human. Our society has done the exact same thing to infants. We look at these infants in the womb and we say, that's not a human. Many have believed the lives they are suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. And while we all know the truth, that is a person, that that is a human being, the lie that society pushes is that it is not. And like the Nazis, we are taking the life of those who are innocent. So what does God say about human life? First off, all of life is His. He is sovereign over it. He is our Creator. And while we are stewards of our children as parents, they are truly not our children. They are His. As creatures, it's not about what we think. It's not about our opinions. It's about what He says. And Scripture states that life is sacred in His eyes. The human beings are created in the image of God. Genesis 1.27 said, So God created man in his own image. In the image of man, he created man. Created him. Male and female, he created him. So what does it mean to be created in the image of God? You could literally translate it as created in his likeness. Does this mean that we are little gods? No, that's not what it means. God is holy and he is unlike us. And there is only one true and living God. But it does mean that he has shared a degree of his likeness with us. For instance, our morality. We are moral beings. The law of God is written on our hearts. We are artistic. We are orderly. We love. We have relationships. We have a knowledge of justice. As an image bearer, we are to reflect him. We are his representatives. We are to be a reflection of his character. In this world, if you want to know what the image of God is, look to Jesus Christ. While we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, he, has, he is the perfect image bearer. The one who perfectly reflected God's character. This is what we are. 
Sin has corrupted the image, but nonetheless, the image is still there. Fallen man is corrupt, yes, but we still see and know that we are created in the image of God. And if we were to look around society, we would see the way that society is orderly, it is artistic, the way we love one another, the way that there are certain things in society that point to the fact that we are, we are above the animals. We're not like them. We are created different. And God says that that difference is that we are created in His own image. We're unlike the animals. Genesis 9.3 says that of those animals, every moving thing is for food for you. Also there in Genesis, it says that we are to have dominion or rule over the animals. And he's given us permission, as Jesus did to Peter, he said, take and eat, to eat animals. And if you kill an animal and you kill that animal humanely, there is absolutely no penalty for doing such things. But God says for those who would take a human life, an image-bearer life, he says in John, Genesis 9 6, 9, 6, that whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. You can see here the value that God puts on human life. It's so valuable to him that if you unjustly take the life of someone else, God says that your life is required. That that's the just penalty, life for life. Because God made man in his own image. He's made them with value. He's made them unlike anything else in all the earth. I know we love our dogs, we love our pets, but we are unlike them. They do not have the value that we do. Yes, they have value, but not the value in God's eyes as human beings. Psalm 8, 5, 5 through 8 says, Yet you have made him a little lower, speaking of human beings, than heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hand, dominion over creation, or rule over creation. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and all, also the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heaven, and the fish of the sea. You can see how God has put all, all other creatures under the dominion or the rule of man. And so if you're wondering when this value that God attributes to us because we are created in his image, when, when does it begin? Well, it begins at conception because that's when life begins. No excuses. All of life that God gives is valuable from the beginning. It is a gift from God. No matter what the situation, no matter who the mother is, every single child is a blessing. There are no accidents in God's eyes. If you read through the historical narrative of the Old Testament, you will see how often God opens and closes the womb. And whenever he opens the womb, it is a gift from him. And just because the mother or father are evil or they do horrible things, does not change the fact that the child is a gift. Every child is a blessing from God. Psalm 127.3 says, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. No matter how small that child is, no matter what that child is like, no matter the condition of that child, yes, even a child with Down syndrome, they are a gift 
from the Lord. A blessing, the Bible says. A heritage from the Lord, Scripture says. While the means to create life God has given to man and woman, it is only God that can actually give life. He's the only one that can create life. He's the one that gives life to that which is in the womb. He's the one that gives a soul. He's the one that is knitting that child together in the mother's womb. Psalm 139, 13 and 14 says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for, you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Of the prophet Jeremiah, listen to what the words of God are to him. He says this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Who formed him? God formed him. And he knew him before he even formed him in the womb. Before you were born, I consecrated you, I appointed you, a prophet to the nations. God not only formed Jeremiah in the womb, he also knew him. And there are other verses there in the Old Testament that say similarly that God is at work at forming the child in the womb. So, according to Scripture, what is in the womb is not in question. It is a person. While many would try to tell you that what is in the mother is not a child. It's not a life. It has no rights. It, it and it has no consciousness. That's not what the Bible says. It's not what God says. He says that he is forming that child in the womb. And if you want to know if that, that child has thoughts, does it have a consciousness? We look to the book of Luke. In that very first chapter of the book of Luke, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Elizabeth, the mother of John, they met. And the text says that John the Baptist, still in his mother's womb, when he was in the presence of the Lord, when he was in the presence of Jesus, he leapt in his mother's womb. As if he knew he was in the presence of the Almighty. As if he knew he was in the presence of the, the one true Messiah. This baby from the womb leapt. Also in that chapter, it says of John the Baptist, that he would be filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. Filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. Many commentators believe that that means that there, in his mother's womb, John the Baptist was born again, or he was regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Now how could a blob of tissues, or a parasite, or something that is unhuman, be a born-again believer from his mother's womb? The answer is they cannot. There had to be a true, living man within her womb. Scripture is clear that while we are fallen and we are sinful, God has declared that man is valuable. And our value is because we are created in his image. And that value begins from conception. It begins in the mother's womb. So what does God think about when someone takes a human life? We've read here in Genesis 9-6 that whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. Many would say, well, this is the old covenant. We live under the new covenant. Well, Jesus affirmed the exact same thing in Matthew 26, verse 52. He said to Peter, when Peter had struck the ear off of 
the servant of the high priest, he said this, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. He's basically saying to Peter, If you take a life with this sword, your life will be taken by a sword. God values life so much that when someone sheds blood unjustly, the only sufficient price is that person's blood in payment. And he calls it murder. The unjust taking of of life, he calls it murder. And, And over and over again, the Bible condemns murder. One definition of murder is it's defined by the unlawful, premeditated killing of a human being by another. Murder is the unjust taking of human life. Now, don't hear me wrong. There are just reasons to take a life. Self-defense is one of them. The soldier, the government soldier who does not wield the sword in vain, God has ordained that he would punish the evildoer. That there are times where there is a just way to take a life. But the Bible is clear. That to take a life that you had no right to take, it is murder. So not only God does God forbid it by saying, you shall not murder, he also tells us that he hates it. Right there in those verses that we started reading, he said there in Proverbs 6, that he hates the hands that shed innocent blood. This is something God hates. He hates the hands that shed innocent blood. Well, you might ask, well, is taking the life of a preborn child really shedding man's blood? Is that really taking the life of an innocent. We have in Scripture, we have an example in Scripture that tells us that it is. We've already seen that God has created man in his own image, that he's forming human beings in the womb, and since that, that what is in the womb is a person, then it is always wrong to end that child's life. And so what is the price for taking that life in the womb? Scripture tells us the exact price. In Exodus 21, verse 22 Through 25, there's an account there. It's very important we look at this issue of abortion. It says this, When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her surely shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. So let me explain these verses here. In these verses, there are two men that are most likely fighting. And a pregnant mother, maybe she's related, the wife of one, I don't know the situation, but she tries to break up the fight, most likely. And through that, they've hit the woman. And they have caused her child to be born prematurely. If the child comes out and the child is healthy, then no harm done. The only only punishment is that the father would need, the one who is fighting would need to pay a fine. Most likely for the heartache and the pain that the, the woman has suffered through that situation. But if there is harm to that child, if that child was to lose its life, for instance. The scripture says, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. 
to whatever's happened to that child or to that mother, and equal punishment must be given to those who are guilty for the loss. If that child died, then Scripture says right here, the only sufficient payment is the life of the one who caused it. It is clear from Scripture that taking the life of an innocent preborn child right here in this text is murder. The mother, the doctor, whoever, whoever is guilty in the situation, the price, the wage is their own life if they decide to take their child's life. This is what God has said. And really, if any society would criminalize abortion to the degree to which the Bible says, abortion would be almost completely eliminated in that society. Some might say, your language is too harsh. But this isn't my language. This is God's language. And I am just the messenger. To someone that would say this is too harsh, that the penalty is too harsh, I want to say, why are you inconsistent? Whenever we hear of those school shootings, when we hear about adults abusing children, when we hear about that sex predator, when we hear about that child that's died too early, when we hear about that monster that took the life of a young child, we are all rightfully outraged. Are we not? And we have a hard time being gracious in those situations. What we all want in those situations is the death penalty. We call for it. But why not for the infants? Why not for those who are in the womb? Why are they different? Where is the outrage among Americans? These are our weakest neighbors, the weakest among us, the most vulnerable. And yet we are indifferent when the most innocent are being killed. Why? No, these words are not too harsh. What is too harsh is ripping children from their mother's wombs, and it's supposed to be the most safe place in all this world. But for those who have committed this crime against their children, who have had a hand in it, or maybe even encouraged a mother to go down this road, there is hope for such crimes to be forgiven. That next question is, what hope is there for those hands that shed the innocent blood? It is a great crime. Let's not minimize the crime. Too often in this country, we've minimized the crime of abortion. Let us not for one second minimize this great sin. It is a heinous act, and the wage of it is death. And this sin will be judged. And apart from Christ, there is absolutely no hope to be freed from the guilt of this sin. While the sin is great, it is not the unforgivable sin. Jesus Christ said there was one unforgivable sin, and I believe that one sin is the rejection of Him. While this sin is great, God's forgiveness is still greater. His perfect Son shed His blood so that mothers that have shed the blood of their innocent children could be forgiven. It is His life in the place of their life.
While those guilty before God only deserve, only deserve death, Christ is the only sufficient sacrifice that pays this wage. And I truly believe there will be many mothers in heaven that have been completely forgiven of abortion because our God is that great and his death, the death of his son is that sufficient to save all and any who would come, no matter what the sin and even this sin. I want you to think of King David. If you give any pushback, think of King David. He was an adulterer. He was a murderer. He committed an egregious crime against God and the man whom he murdered. But with true repentance, David was restored to God. There in the 51st Psalm, we hear of David's repentance, where he asked God to have mercy on him according to his steadfast love. That he, he would ask him to blot out his sin, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly, wash me from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. He cries out to God. He asked God to create in me a clean heart, O God. We see David's broken heart for his sin against God. Even says in that sin that it's God alone who he has sinned against. And so the message is, come to God with a broken, repentant heart. Beg Him to forgive you based on the perfect work of Jesus Christ, based on that sufficient sacrifice that is enough. And through Christ alone, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. There is hope for even the murderer in Christ. And he is the only hope. Find refuge in the gracious Savior today and be washed clean forever. So I want to close with what can we do against this evil that is in our land? I'm going to close with a call to action for all who are here. When I think of this modern day Holocaust, I think of that prior Holocaust, the Holocaust of Nazi Germany, where six million Jews, they were murdered simply because the Nazis wanted to. While there were faithful Christians in that day that stood up against this tyranny, stood up against this evil of the Nazis, this extermination of the Jews, there were those who did not. There were those who named the name of Christ and did nothing. Those who stood by while many were led to the slaughter. I want you to hear this true account, this true story from an old man that lived in Nazi Germany. He gives this account after hearing a speech at a pro-life event. After a speech, pro-life activist Penny Lee was approached by an old man. Weeping, he told her the following story. I lived in Germany during the Holocaust. I considered myself a Christian. I attended church since I was a small boy. We had heard the stories of what was happening to the Jews. But like most people today in this country, we tried to distance ourselves from the reality of what was taking place. What could anyone do to stop it, he said. 
a railroad track behind our small church, and each Sunday morning, we would hear the whistle from a distance. And then the clacking of the wheels moving over the track. We became disturbed when one Sunday we noticed cries coming from the train as it passed by. We grimly realized that the train was carrying Jews. They were like cattle in those cars. Week after week, the train whistle would blow. We would dread to hear the sound of those old wheels because we knew that the Jews would begin to cry out to us as they passed our church. It was so terribly disturbing, we could do nothing to help these poor, miserable people, yet their screams tormented us. We knew exactly at what time that whistle would blow, and we decided the only way to keep from being so disturbed by the cries was to start singing our hymns. By the time the train came rumbling past the churchyard, we were singing at the top of our voices. If some of the screams reached our ears, we just sing a little louder until we could hear them no more. Years have passed and no one talks about it much more. But I still hear the train whistle in my sleep. I can still hear them crying out for help. And he said this to close his statement, God forgive all of us who called ourselves Christian, yet did nothing to intervene. There is a holocaust in our land. And really it's one that makes that German holocaust pale in comparison. Many Christians choose to live their lives and ignore, much like those Germans did, the babies that are being murdered in our very neighborhoods. In these neighborhoods, there are babies being thrown in dumpsters. Their bodies are being used for scientific experimentation. And like those Christians who sang a lot louder, we want to avoid the truth of what is going on in this nation. We often get lost in the comfort of our lives, the distraction of this modern world. We are focused on ourselves and we have little zeal to do what God would have us do. We care more about being entertained than standing up against this monstrosity. We care more about our greatest American idol of all, which is the comfort that we all enjoy. And that comfort keeps us from working to end this evil. And I am calling this church and any Christian that would hear this message to be different. That we would take the commands of Christ seriously to love our neighbor as ourselves. And that counts for the preborn neighbor. To go to the most vulnerable orphans and care for them in their time of distress. To go to the front lines of this battle and plead with those who are being led to the slaughter. Proverbs, Proverbs 24.11 says, Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. As Christians, we must preach the gospel, knowing that it is the only thing that can change the hearts and minds of this nation. It's the only hope that anyone has to turn away from this sin. It's the only hope that we have as a nation to see this darkness purged from our land. As Christians, we need to hold our politicians accountable. They run saying they're, they're pro-life, but, but 
abortion is still legal. We need to call them out for the wickedness in this land that they refuse to end. As Christians, we need to support adoption and not abortion. We need to give our time, resources, and gifts towards purging this evil. God has called us to be salt and light of the world. And we'll close with these, these two questions here. Will we be a people that will push back the darkness in our land with the light of the gospel of grace? Will we be a people that will keep the decay of this society at bay by calling for righteous laws and righteous rulers and like John the Baptist who called out Herod and lost his head for it? Will we call the rulers of our land who are evil in the sight of God to repentance? God, forgive us for our apathy towards the slaughter of the innocents. We are all guilty, each and every one of us, of turning a blind eye. We need repentance. We need grace. And through His grace, we can make a difference in this fight. But we can't do it apart from Him. We are weak, but He is strong. Let us never forget our deep dependence on Him as we fight back this darkness in our land.